Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Best Boss Ever podcast series. I'm Carl Thomas, your host for the series, where every week we'll explore the best and the worst bosses, employees, relationships, leadership, management styles, what works, what doesn't, and why, and everything in between. Peter Chani is a longtime friend and colleague of mine. He's the founder and chairman of Creative Media, a media tech-focused M&A, that's merger and acquisitions, business development and advisory firm, and a well-respected thought leader in the media technology sector, writing and authoring articles for Variety, Forbes, USA Today, TechCrunch, and many other national and local media outlets. His clients include major music and media companies like Primary Wave Music and privately held innovators like Bulldog DM, a leading player in the premium live streaming space, along with Koji, which is doing memes and games and interactive content, sort of like what TikTok does for video. He and his wife, Louisa, just launched Creative University, a pure give back to high school and college students interested in pursuing careers in media, entertainment, and tech. Peter started his career as an entertainment lawyer, repping clients like notorious rap group NWA, after graduating from Harvard Law School. Peter and I fortunately met each other when we both worked at Universal Studios. Now, I'm not going to tell you when, that would date both of us, but the bond was immediate, and together we negotiated and closed over $200 million in strategic corporate partnership agreements in about three years. We ham and egged it pretty well. So here's the punchline. One of the reasons I'm so excited to have Peter as a guest today is that he recognized early on the power of the internet and how derivative enabling technologies would impact media, music, and filmed entertainment. Hey, Peter, welcome to the show, and thanks so much for being here today. Carl, it's great to hear your voice again, and it's great to be here. Well, listen, let's start with uh, the, the Best Boss Ever, name of our podcast series, The Best Boss Ever. And, I, and I'd like you to share with our audience the best boss or the best mentor you ever had and how that individual or individuals shaped and guided you to where you are today. Oh, that's an, that's an interesting question. I've had, um, just to preface it a little bit, I've had a number of different <laughs> roles, probably in, I've probably in my 30 year career, I've probably been in about 15 different places, um, including my own shop. And, but my, one of my favorite bosses certainly was Carl Thomas at Universal Studios back in the day when we worked together on those deals that you mentioned. Well, Peter, I was hardly your boss. Uh, well, I mean, look, here's the thing. Certainly a mentor, at a minimum, but you were responsible for all the global partnerships for Universal Studios at the time. I was a young buck who came into the entertainment business from after having been an entertainment lawyer. And this was, and, and then I was doing some motion picture and television work at a couple of different companies. But the, my first real significant gig was coming into Universal and being part of that core team. And as part of that, I worked with you very closely as partners, but you were, you know, you were responsible for the group. So yes, you were, you were both a boss and mentor and, and not just because it's your show, you truly 
were and have always been a mentor of mine because um, you do it right. And, and I can get into that a little bit where there's been a lot of people in my career who have done it wrong. Certainly not team players, not positive forces. And I'm a huge believer that, that is a, those are fundamental attrib- attributes of being an effective boss, which is being a team player, willing to share the credit, the accolades, um, and to be a positive force. And you are, you are all that, and very few are like that. Well, those are awfully kind words, and I very much appreciate it. I will say, relative to that, that teamwork is a huge principle in how I've attempted, at least, to manage all of my business activity. And being partnered up with you in, I think, two very significant agreements that were long-term and had huge impact on the studio, the Discover Card Agreement and the Coca-Cola Agreement, we went long into the nights uh, several times working through literally right down to contractions uh, in, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 page uh, legal agreements that required sign off by higher ups uh, than you and I in both the client company as well as Universal Studios itself. But it was, a, it was for me, truly a magical time. And I don't think we'd have done nearly what we ended up doing if we hadn't been really good partners in working together in that environment. So thanks again for those kind words. And by the um, way, I wanna, I, there's an interesting anecdote related to what you mentioned about the Coke deal that I think is a data point for people to kind of think about how careers work out because I'm very much a believer in nonlinear paths that you, you can try to plan out your career and plan out life in a certain way and then it certainly doesn't um, go that way. And uh, especially these days when there's the need to be flex- flexibility and all that. But, and one of the themes, Carl, I, I think is, I'd love to get into is power of relationships. But I want to go back to, you mentioned the Coke deal. And this was now many, many years ago. Well, the positivity of not only you, and I think, you know, hopefully I brought that into the deal with our partners at Coca-Cola was such that it was never an adversarial relationship. It was a constructive relationship. It was hard negotiation, but it was in a positive way. And it ended up being a very successful deal for everyone involved. But the personal aspect of it that's interesting is the man on the other end of the table for Coca-Cola was a guy named Jeff Cottrell, who's been a leader in the brand worlds ever since then from Coca-Cola. And Jeff and I have we, we hit it off like I, I, that the night that we signed that deal, I remember we were in a diner in Atlanta listening to music at like three or four in the morning and like this love of music. So fast forward, Jeff and I rarely see each other, but it, we pop in every now and then. Well, it's kind of fascinating how the world works because the love of music, my daughter is studying the music industry at USC in her third year and his daughter is actually a very well-known young recording artist, very popular around the world named Claro. And Claro just happened to be featured on my creative university that we'll talk about a little bit later, just last week. So it's just interesting that all that can come around in ways that you would never anticipate. 
that is 100% not only accurate, but for everyone listening, you have to understand that the sort of asynchronous path that you travel down through a business career, you just have no idea what that next turn in the road is going to yield. And I love the fact that Claro was a guest on the Creative uh, University platform. Yeah. I completely agree about Jeff Cottrell and his boss, Steve Coonan, who is now the CEO and minority owner of the Atlanta Hawks in the NBA. So let's, let's, let's pivot. Yeah, right. Let's pivot away from here a little bit yeah. and launch into, you know, where you are today, how you got to uh, creative media. We do want to spend some time on creative university and also back to your point around relationship. My path has been nonlinear beyond belief on steroids. And, um, it's kind of a function of personality. So after you and I spent many years at Universal, I was fortunate to, after a, an interesting turn, that was probably the biggest career mistake that led to, but a different path. It was the biggest mistake at the time, but it led to a path that was a different, divergent, fascinating one. But I was fortunate to be, get into several entrepreneurial roles of building, running, um, media tech companies that were forward thinking. So I came from traditional media, went into tech driven media when the internet hit, hit. And so first on the music side with Music Match, which was really the Spotify before Spotify, we invented the on-demand streaming game by negotiating the first on-demand music licenses as an example. So with the team, forward thinking on music. Then after that, um, after the sale of that company, I became CEO of a company called Sightspeed that was live video chat before there was Skype video, before there was FaceTime video, before there was Zoom, Zoom video. And when nobody believed that consumers would want to do live video chat and we were innovators again and we had a nice exit with Logitech. And then I ran a company called Sorensen Media, which was really enabled through its technology video on the internet in the first place. So I was I was able to have about half my career in traditional media, which is very content driven, and then half my career with tech driven media and where it's going. So because of that, and because I've been a writer and you know, hopefully thinking about certain issues in a certain way effectively or helpfully, I've always been a writer. I've always been trying to prognosticate, think of not only today, but where things are going. And certainly like the, the concepts of, of tech disrupting media through streaming video and that disrupting television broadcasting, um, music now after having been decimated by the internet, now finding the internet being its savior through streaming again. Uh, those are kind of some themes that led us to the pandemic. And you know, uh, I think the big themes that are somewhat obvious are that because of the collective lockdown that we all had, there's been the best of times and the worst of times in the entertainment business. The best of times is that the home entertainment world has had this, this, you know, this golden age because everybody's sitting on their couches, streaming, um, you know, Netflix, HBO Max, Disney Plus, all of these different ones uh, who are vying for our attention. 
And then you have the games world, the esports world, games world, immersive entertainment that have gotten boosts from what's going on. Whereas on the other hand, obviously, you have the massive changes where because we're staying at home, theaters have been closed. They're trying to reopen again, but it's going to take a long time. Live music is dead and it's not coming back for a long time. Big tours aren't coming back until next fall, fall 2021 until the earliest. So those are the big, massive, spicy meatballs that are sitting there in the media, entertainment and tech world. And then we can go deeper about some specific things. You know, Carl, I'm, I'm a board member of a company called that you mentioned called Bulldog Digital Media. And they're, um, you know, it's considered to be the best high quality or so premium live streaming company out there for, and they're very focused on music and music festivals, but they work with artists, individual artists and venues. They have a pay-per-view um, product now too. And there's a an initiative that's, that, uh, that a number of these smaller venues from around the country are doing, they're consolidating to, be, to have like a massive benefit to try to raise capital for all of them. And, and Bulldog is part of it to enable the live streaming um, because of exactly what you're saying. And so these Live Nation's gonna be in a different situation, of course. Ron's gonna be in a different position than the independents out there, but it's and many of those independents are going to go under unless there's some tremendous help governmental or by us who are music fans um, and by those live venues experimenting doing whatever they can being as entrepreneurial as possible by doing things like offering live streaming events through in their from their venues with no crowds with perhaps robotic cameras those kinds of things are happening right now that's the kind of that's all that can be done now from the live venue perspective artists there are other things they can do but it's a it's a terrible time obviously for the out of home uh entertainment market the same could be said in the world of sports i mean it's a yeah. little it's slightly different uh you know the pga tour has been back for 14 events uh formula 1 started up again there i think about 10 events into their season we all know what's going on in the bubble with the nba the national hockey league and major league soccer as well as as major league baseball so the attempts are being made but the interesting thing there is those entities if you will um, as leagues or teams or federations uh, they have underlying media rights deals so the content capture and distribution comes comes with a fairly healthy rights fee payment that's not the case in music so to your point the adaptation requirement the creative requirement the do something that you never thought of and you have no idea if it's going to work requirement those are all now mandates as opposed to sort of allowing yourself to play the what if game right oh yeah no absolutely and and sports for for reasons of our collective dna because we've always observed it this way um you know we are used to watching it remotely as well as in person whereas live events yes many of them live streamed can be effective 
but most typically like in bulldogs case as an example it comes if, if it's just a live streamed event from a venue that's not going to be nearly as powerful nor it will be nearly as successful as if you have interactive features all kinds of things where the artists and the fans can engage with one another fans and fans can engage with one another so those kinds of elements that are tech driven are absolutely critical when you're talking about outside of the sports space um into music and so when when somebody's thinking about like okay let's have a solution for for venues and artists gotta think beyond just putting cameras out there and having them play their set because for super fans that may be enough but for a wider audience to really monetize it it's not gonna be enough and you need to really go with somebody that has the broadest feature set and knows how to really architect these things. Totally understand that. Makes perfect sense. Let's move on a little bit to, I know a subject that is, is near and dear to your heart, and that's that the whole window of theatrical releases. So we grew up in traditional media where the, Theaters were protected. I'm talking about the movie theaters now. Were protected for a period of time with first release, first run films and, and movies, and then came pay per view, and then came the Netflixes of the world, and now we've got half a dozen at least major players that are paying for and contracting for original programming because they have the platforms, whether it's Netflix or whether it's Hulu or Amazon Prime or even on a global basis, it's Tencent and Alibaba. So you tell us about Mulan because it just hit Disney Plus over the weekend and it's never seen a theatrical release. Yeah, you know, it's, um, the world has changed radically for the motion picture business um, due to the pandemic. And it's a change that the studios have wanted to make for quite some time, but we're afraid to make it. And that is the practice of the decades old practice of windowing, which meant that the, the major motion pictures would be released in theaters exclusively for a certain period of time, which I think it ended up being, being whittled down to about 90 days until they were released into your homes, either via you know, on-demand streaming or DVDs or something like that, that's windowing. Well, theater owners have been able to resist the studios wanting to, to bring that down to zero, which meant that what they call it is day and date kind of release into the home. Netflix, the streamers, because we've had this, this brave new world of streaming and Netflix creates its own films, well, they don't have that exclusivity sort of, um, they don't give theater owners that, and they've, they've always been very vocal about the fact that it makes no sense for consumers to have be living in a world where there's windowing. So in any event, that's kind of the backdrop of it. So when you're a, a major studio and the pandemic hits and the theaters are absolutely closed and shuttered, and you've spent hundreds of millions of dollars on producing theatrical motion pictures or feature films, you have two choices. You can either wait, shelf the product and hope for better days, or you can try to do the best you can and release it into the home because it's the only option you have. So what has happened in the pandemic is it gave license a hall pass to the major studios to try to do these things 
what not that it made the it's not like the theatrical or the movie theater owners said yes but it was difficult to say no when there was no other alternative so the first even before mulan the first big uh experiment and the, that really shattered the window the theatrical uh exclusivity window was uh universal studios movie trolls world tour so a, a family-friendly film like a mulan family-friendly film and trolls world tour um in its first so it went direct into our homes because it couldn't go into theaters in the first three weeks it generated about 100 million dollars in domestic revenues for universal studios What's interesting, that, so that was a grand experiment, how it would perform. So in three weeks, it did that. Here's the interesting part. They, the economics for in-home release are vastly different than they are for theatrical release. So the revenue split for in-home across a streaming service is about 80% goes to the studio and about 20% goes to the streaming, streaming platform. So 80-20. So if you're making 100 million in the first three weeks, that's about $80 million into Universal Studios' pocket. Well, to, in the theatrical world, it's more like a 50-50 deal where the studio gets about 50 to 60% and the, the movie theaters get the remainder. So to, to net the same amount, you'd have to generate about $150 million in box office to net the same amount that Trolls did, or Trolls World Tour did. So those are the economics. And what's interesting, the original Trolls, which was a theatrical release a couple of years ago, generated about $160 million in box office, which meant it was about $80 million to Universal. So here you go. You can see that home release has been very successful. So fast forward to Milan. So Disney clearly was looking for this massive big budget, much bigger budget than Trolls World Tour for Universal. Same kind of choice, but now it had this teaching, this learning from Universal and how successful it was. And Disney also has the, the platform itself, itself with Disney Plus. So it, it could um, directly release with those kind of economics. And, and on top of that, not only would it generate direct revenue through the, you know, the, the streaming service, it also in, it added a $30 surcharge. So you have to be a Disney Plus subscriber. You have to pay $30 on top of that to be able to get it. And so the economics are pretty interesting. And that's not even including the fact that you may be attracting more subscribers into Disney Plus by doing it. So I just wrote a piece about this. Bottom line is that if you do some numbers, it's a pretty safe bet that Disney will do at least as well, if not better, having this direct to home release strategy if about a quarter of Disney Plus subscribers pay for it. Fascinating. And I, and I would venture a guess here with a couple of minutes left that this is a change in the marketplace that will not go away anytime soon. It might get tweaked a little bit as movie theaters come back online, but I don't think you put this genie back in the bottle. Listen, with a couple of minutes we have left, I want you to give us not just a little bit of an imprimatur on Creative U, uh, but also the website URL so our listeners can get to it. And whether they're uh, you know, students themselves or they for sure know students, 
it is a huge platform that you and Louisa are building. Yeah, thank, thanks for introducing that, Carl. So um, Creative University is a pure give back to young people who are interested and passionate about exploring careers in media, entertainment, and tech. And you can find out the information at creative, which is spelled C-R-E-A-T-V dot media. So C-R-E-A-T-V dot media. And then you'll see the tab for Creative University. So what we do is we want to, it's free of charge. It's for college and high school students. It's meant to inspire, motivate, give a diversity of viewpoints about the business and roles in the business. And so we've been able to attract amazing guests like Claro, the artist, like another favorite artist of mine, Radical Face, but also the CEO of TikTok, Kevin Mayer, who is no longer there. Um, he was there for a short period of time, but his only, only interview, I think, was with Creative University. But CEOs of other major companies like Reese Witherspoon's company and Kevin Hart's company, it's been really interesting. But it's more than that, it's meant to give immediate internships, so tangible benefits to young people to give them, so they, so they have something on their resume that's meaningful, so they've crossed the velvet rope and jumped that into the world of media and entertainment and tech, and they already have relationships. So they've already done what took me years to do because I was a Minnesota kid and I had no connections. So Creative University is meant to do all that, and we've already, placed a number of internships. We have like 10 companies on the online um, at the website who are giving internships or making them available. Uh, we've placed real job already, you know, things like that. So it's been very rewarding. It's something that we're very committed to. And I don't think there's anything else like that in the marketplace. And so again, pure give back. It's just, if you know young people who are interested in this world, could be your sons and daughters, have them check it out. Folks, you heard it here. Kudos to Peter Chotti and his wife, Louisa. This is just a tremendous game-changing opportunity for any student who is interested to explore the world of, of media, tech, and entertainment. So Peter, two things left here. 30 seconds on your favorite mistake and why. Ooh, I've made so many mistakes, Carl, but my, I don't know if it's my favorite mistake, but it's what I referred to. And it was leaving Universal Studios to go to a digital greeting card company called eGreetings in 1999 because they were about to go public and I had visions of, of massive um, economic success that would flow from that. <laughs> so I was a young guy thinking about the, I love the internet because it was breaking, but the IPO magic was kind of in my head at that time. And so I left this world of Universal Studios and got into the entrepreneurial world that way. Within three months, that company went bust and it really was the harbinger. That was kind of the canary in the coal mine of the end of, of web 1.0. But it led me, so that was my biggest mistake at the time, but that led me to a very different kind of career, which has been extremely rewarding and made me, may not have happened had that not happened. So it's the, the high level lesson I think guys is that we all make mistakes but that's life, that's living, it's nonlinear paths, and it may lead you to things that are so much more satisfying than they otherwise would have been. Sage advice and sound wisdom, as always. So, quick bites here. Your favorite female artist or band? Of all time? Of all time. Debbie Harry, Blondie. 
Absolutely. I love that. I love that she's on my list too. Yeah, she's amazing. Groundbreaker, right? She's amazing. She's amazing. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, and we're going to exit this podcast with one of your favorite words, a word that you might live by and why. Yeah, I would say fearless. That's one of my favorite words. Um, and it's, and it's such a hard one to be in life, you know, with all the kinds of things that we deal with. Um, and it, I don't think human beings are naturally fearless, but that word means a lot to me. And I, I titled the book after it and I talk about it a lot in my talks about fearless media. It's about taking bold action. Nobody knows when you're, when you're anybody who's moving forward, you have to take action. And so even in these crazy times where nobody has it figured out, just take action. That takes being fearless. You may fail, but unless you're willing to put yourself out there, you can never succeed. And that could be in a relationship. It could be in your career. It could be anything that's meaningful. So I, I have to be, remind myself as well um, throughout my career and in life to, to take that advice. So that's, that to me is probably the most important ingredient to leading a fulfilling, um, passion-driven life. I love that. Uh, and it's so true. And, and it's a really a state of mind and a state of consciousness, and you have to do it with purpose. You just don't wake up unafraid. You have to decide to be unafraid. It's a choice. Peter, I so appreciate you spending a half hour with us. It was, it was really, really strong stuff. And I know our audience is going to love it. Tons of wisdom, tons of nuggets in there. Thanks so much, my friend, for being a part of it. It's great to be part of it, Carl. I, lo I love that you're doing this. And again, I just think that um, the career that you've had and, and done so many different things, uh, that's, that's a fulfilling career. You know, that's what it's all about. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. There's more to come every week. So please subscribe and rate us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Pandora, and many others. Also visit our website at thebestbossever.com, where you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn, as well as find more compelling content. Until next week, remember, words matter.